the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Glory to you. Jesus spoke the following parable to some people who prided themselves on being virtuous and despised everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood there and said his prayer to himself. I thank you, God, that I am not grasping, unjust, adulterous, like the rest of mankind, and particularly that I am not like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes on all I get. The tax collector stood some distance away, not daring even to raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man, I tell you, went home again and writes with God. The other did not. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, but the one who humbles themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk for a moment about the mystery of baptism, which is one of the most beautiful sacraments that we have. And it's not just because little Amenaeus over there is being baptized, but really, baptism is the doorway to the sacramental life that each of us has passed through. And as St. Paul said in that reading that we had from one of our students here, Paul has run the race, and it's out of the gate of baptism, if you like, that we've all burst forth to run this long, arduous, uh, rigorous race of the Christian life. It's very, very demanding, and it stretches for a long time. In the early church, the model was you better get baptized quick because you're probably going to be fed to the lions the next day. But now we don't get martyred so much. We have to stick it out for 60, 70 years. So baptism is very important. What is it? And for that matter, what are the sacraments in general? We're about to see a whole lot of symbols employed. And I always say the church loves to speak the language of symbol because symbols speak so much deeper than simple words can. And symbols continue to speak. Like, like we could talk about just the water for, until the cows come home. All of these symbols are employed by God to communicate something very, very powerful indeed. So this is something for all of us. What are we going to witness today in particular? Well, just at the beginning of this Mass, we heard Rajat and Loretta's declaration, their intention, their intention to bring this child into the life of faith. And it's their faith that they're baptizing him in because he can't even speak yet. In the same way that they know how to feed him good food, they know what's dangerous and safe and they, by their reason, negotiate life with him. Uh, they do the same thing with what they know to be good in their belief. They say, I know this is good belief. I'm going to feed you on this and raise you until he's old enough to affirm it himself at confirmation. Then we came to the altar, and before that, Amenes was signed with the sign of the cross because baptism is an entry into what we call the Paschal mystery, the mystery of Jesus dying and rising. And therefore, everything that the baptized person does is Paschal mystery. Uh, just think of how we start every single celebration. We start at the Mass. If you say grace before meals, 
um, everything is reminding us that, yes, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And the cross is, in a way, a horrible image. As, as we think on the early church, they didn't have the religious connotations that we have. They would have said, cross, that's a gruesome martyrdom. Why would I want to carry that? But Jesus says, no, take up your cross. Share in the Pasch. Finally, when we come here, we're going to hear um, the family profess their faith, the faith of the church. I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in um, the communion of saints, all of that. And then we're going to do something quite extravagant. We call it the litany of saints. Now, when you think of the prayer gestures that the church can muster, because we're praying all the time, but just think of the audacity of all of the countless saints and angels in heaven. And what are they doing? They're beholding God unveiled, like right before the face of God, triune. And they're worshipping him. And we have the, the nerve to say, excuse me for just a second, but do you mind turning your gaze right there? Turn your gaze for a moment to him and pray for him. Pray for what's just about to happen before our very eyes. And it's going to escape our eyes because it happens internally and it happens kind of eternally. But we're asking all of heaven and earth to be concerned with this, and they are. One last thing came to me as I was thinking on that. What exactly is it that they're going to see? Because the saints and angels, if they see anything, if our faith has any credence at all, they're seeing God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son has taken flesh, so we know the Son is Jesus. And we know that if the baptism does what we think it does, Jesus' mystical body is receiving a member. So the, the very thing they're adoring is going to grow slightly. <laughs> it's, going to, it's going to have another member, another limb in this body of Christ. I don't know, it sort of boggles the mind, but, but they're seeing that as they worship God and as they pray for us. And then finally... The race begins, and I think Amenes is going to start a little bit slowly, but the race begins for him to run. Undoubtedly, we're witnessing a religious experience, much like the two people in our gospel. They've both come to the temple, a place of religious worship, and they've come supposedly to pray. One of them is praying. One of them is praying to himself, it says. But they've come to pray. So I think for us today, and let me just reaffirm, this is not just about Amenaeus, but it's about all of us who've shared in the mystery of baptism. Because when Amenaeus is baptized, I'm going to sprinkle you all with water to remind you, yeah, we were all washed in that font. We were all born from that womb. We've all begun a new race. How do we make this an authentic religious experience, a transformative encounter with God, and not a strange pretense like we see in the gospel. I think for all of us as baptized people, we should be cautious of what those two figures put before us. For one, we should be cautious of presumption. The Pharisee presumes that he's, I don't know, in the right. He's boasting about everything that he can do. And, and the gospel says quite comically, he prays to himself. So this is not a genuine prayer. It's like self-affirming talk, uh, lip service to himself. He's trying to impress himself, and evidently he is impressed with himself. Well, 
we should steer very clear of that. Second thing is, the Pharisee is completely self-absorbed. And again, this is utterly antithetical to the Christian life. We have this word we say, kenosis, which is self-emptying. It's exactly the opposite of me trying to amass everything to myself and point everything inward to me. No, kenosis, like St. Paul, I've already been poured out in imitation of Christ. I desire to be emptied for the sake of the world that I love so much, for the sake of my God who I love so much. Thirdly, with regard to the Pharisee, he seems to not understand how privilege works in the spiritual life. It seems he's privileged, he's lived a pretty good life, and this, the aspirations he has, he's able to execute. But how does privilege operate in the Christian life? Because it does. We do receive certain privileges. I always think of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She was conceived without original sin. That's an outrageous advantage over the rest of us. I wasn't conceived without original sin. Um, we're all battling with whatever exactly sin is in the world and in our hearts. But what does that mean for Mary in her privilege? She doesn't get a kind of strange express route to heaven. But by virtue of that privilege, she becomes mother of the universal church. Privileges always lead to a kind of uh, extra missionary territory, you know, extra responsibility. If I can say just a few words about the tax collector. He's offered only one kind of prayer. It's the prayer of contrition. He comes and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, that's only one of maybe four prayers. There's petition, there's praise, um, there's intercession, praying for someone else. So if we want to flourish in the spiritual life, we shouldn't fall into the trap of being so, uh, you know, saddened by our sin, by our um, slowness to follow God or our, our lacking virtue or whatever it is. Because even the sinner has the ability and the, and the commandment to pray for those around him to make his life about not just himself, but those amongst whom he is with. Finally, if I can move away from these two figures, I want to close with a quote from one of the early church fathers. His name is St. Peter Chrysogolus. Um, we focused on the two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector. But if I can, with regard to the mystery of baptism, in which all of us share, have a listen to this, because uh, a transition has to take place now in Armenaeus and ongoingly in all of us to move from one man to the other man. I'll, I'll show you what I mean. The apostle has recalled that two men gave a beginning to the human race, namely Adam and Christ. Two men equal in physical nature, but unequal in merit truly alike in their bodily structure, but totally dissimilar in their own origin. The first Adam, the apostle says, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was made by this last, from whom he obtained the soul to give him life. The last Adam was author of his own making, he did not look for life from another, but he himself alone bestowed life on all. There is a first Adam then and a last Adam. The first has a beginning, this last has no end. 
because this last is in truth himself the first, as he says, and we'll recognize this from the book of Revelation, I am the first and the last. What does all that strange mystical speak mean to us? Well, Chrysogelus finishes with these words, and it's a commission to all of us. It's to Amenaeus, but let's hear it for ourselves. Now reborn after the pattern of our Lord, that is the new Adam after Christ, now reborn after him, let us bear the full and complete image of our maker. Not in majesty, in which is his alone. We don't take the place of Christ, but in cooperating with him, in innocence, in simplicity, meekness, patience, humility, mercy, harmony, in which he deigned to become and to be one with all of us.